Hello, Rebels. Today's show, I go into the Christchurch Call, which is a missionary-sounding, cult-sounding uh, manifesto signed by Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, uh, Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand, and all the big tech companies, Twitter, Google, Facebook, YouTube, um, a whole bunch of them, some of them I, I wasn't even familiar with. It's basically a censorship manifesto using the crisis of the terrorist attack in New Zealand to regulate the internet for the whole world. Now, the United States didn't sign it, but Canada sure did, so I go through it. So, so uh, I hope you, you pay some note to this, because I didn't see it covered in any detail anywhere else, so I hope you find this useful. Uh, before I go, can you please uh, consider becoming a premium member of The Rebel? It's $8 a month. You get the video version of this show, which is, I think, pretty useful, because I show a lot of things visually. You get access to Sheila Gunn Reed's show, David Menzies' show, and of course, from my point of view, you help pay the costs of our talented staff and our modest equipment. So if you go to therebel.media slash shows, uh, you could sign up at eight, eight bucks a month or you could pay 80 bucks for the whole year. And um, I appreciate that. So without further ado, here's my show on Macron, Trudeau, Ardern, and you. Tonight, Justin Trudeau uses an attack on a New Zealand mosque as a pretext to censor the internet here in Canada. It's May 17th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon I consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. There's Justin Trudeau, not in Canada. Canada is too boring for him, and more to the point, people here are starting to ask him tough questions about things. So he's in Paris with another mirror-loving leader, detested by his own people. But look at the two of them. They can't keep their hands off each other. I'm sorry, that's just odd. But maybe they're pawing each other and staring deeply into each other's eyes because they're both so similar. Both are locked in bizarre marriages. Both are so obviously lonely and rudderless. Trudeau without his closest friend, Gerald Butts. And Macron without his close protection bodyguard, who Macron told reporters was, quote, not my lover. Okay, that's settled then. These guys are about as genuine as Mark Zuckerberg. Mark, are the allegations true that you're secretly a lizard? Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go with no on that. Uh, I, I am, I am not a lizard, um, but you know, keep the high quality comments coming in. Anyways, what do thin skinned, vain, privileged, insulated from reality, globalist jet setters with no real world experience do when they're hated? And I mean, hated. Uh, here's the latest Ipsos poll from France. It's in French, but you can see what it means. Can you see that? 4% of the French people are very favorable towards them. 23% moderately approve for a total of 27% who think he's okay. But look at that. 28% of Frenchmen are somewhat disfavorable towards him. And 40% of Frenchmen outright despise Macron. Très défavorable. So 60% of Frenchmen dislike him or hate him. That's shocking. Those yellow vests have literally been in the streets for half a year. They're not stopping till Macron is gone. 
So he's in his bubble too. He doesn't come to Canada, of course. He goes to the mountains with his wife, who also happened to be his high school teacher. I don't know if you know that story. He runs away from reality into his weird bubble. Uh, you know that Macron was a 15-year-old high school student, and his teacher was married already, of course. She was 40. He was 15, but she divorced her real family and married the boy, Macron. He wasn't 15 when they married. I'm telling you that because it's relevant to today's story. I'll tell you how it's relevant in a moment. I'll tell you why this weirdness, this deviance is relevant. Yes, sorry, it is deviant, it is odd. It is not normal for a 15-year-old schoolboy to marry his 40-year-old teacher. Sorry, that's weird, and it's relevant to today's news, and I'll tell you why in a moment. That's Macron, despised by his own people, living a bizarre life with his mother, wife, and maybe his boy bodyguard, or maybe definitely not, I don't know. And then our own Justin Trudeau. Angus Reid's latest poll, this one's in English, so it's easier to see, puts him at 67% disapproval and 28% approval. It's almost identical to Macron's numbers, actually. And he, too, is not just disliked, he's hated by Canadians. And yeah, he's a bit weird, too. And I'm not being prudish here. I don't think there was anything illegal about a 15-year-old Macron hooking up with his 40-year-old teacher in Canada. I think that would be called statutory rape because she was in a position of authority over him. But I know in France they're a little bit different on those things. But the same thing here in Canada. Here's Trudeau and his wife Sophie and their friend Gian Gomeshi, who was later revealed to be a sadist. He, he boasted about how he liked to punch women in the face for his sexual pleasure. And here they are all together on a CBC show in Montreal because you're very handsome. Thank you, Justin. Kiss <laughs> him. Uh, I, I think because the show... Did you catch that, that weirdness? Kiss him. A and then his wink here, take a look again. Because you're very handsome. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> Kiss him. Uh, I, I, I think because the show... Yeah, okay, so what's my show about today? Is it me getting prudish about the alternative lifestyles of the weird and famous? No, actually, it's actually the opposite. It's actually the opposite. It's that these two bizarre men have decided to tell you how to live your life, your private life. What you say on your family Facebook page, the photos you put up on Instagram or send by email, your comments on things, even in private. There are a couple of Neros, a couple of Caligulas, despised by their own people, mistrusted by those closest to them, but they are standing in judgment of you and your morality and your politics, not just in the law. I mean, they are legislators. They do have certain power by virtue of their office to tell you and me what to do in limited spheres. The criminal law, things limited by our constitutions and our customs. Do you think I have misjudged Trudeau here? Because maybe I don't know him, or maybe I am a partisan against him. Well, what does Jody Wilson-Raybould think about his morality? What does Jane Philpott think about him? They think he has no character. They think he's a charlatan. They haven't said so, but I think they believe he's a sociopath. The kind of man, for example, who would sexually assault a young female reporter at a beer festival in Creston, BC, and then later would tell her, oh, I'm sorry, I wouldn't have groped you had I known you were someone important. That's what he said to her at the time. And then last year when he was asked about it, the creep said this. Like I said, uh, I do not feel that I acted inappropriately uh, in any way. 
but I respect uh, the fact that someone else might have experienced that differently. Like I say, something's not right with that boy. But what did these two weirdos do yesterday? I think it went beyond just being a little bit weird. They met with this traumatized woman named Jacinda Ardern. She's the Prime Minister of New Zealand, which as you know is a small country next to Australia. New Zealand has about 4.8 million people in it. And a terrible thing happened in New Zealand earlier this year. A terrorist, a murderer with a political motive, killed 51 Muslims in a city called Christchurch. Obviously a horrific crime, the shock of it, the method of it, the ranting manifesto published by the killer, his macabre live streaming of it on Facebook video. In a sleepy country, smaller in population than our city of Toronto, can you imagine the effect it had? Or maybe you can't. As you can see, Ardern took to wearing a Muslim hijab. So did many women police. Muslim prayers were integrated into once secular public institutions in New Zealand. The terrorist desired a political outcome, and he got one, uh, maybe the opposite of what he wanted, but he did change politics through violence. That actually is the definition of terrorism. So New Zealand, for example, has uh, since then banned guns, hoping that will help. I'm not sure if anyone mentioned to these lawmakers that they had already banned shooting people, and that ban didn't seem to work. But maybe an extra ban to double ban shooting people would work. I mean, if she even dared to speak out against the mass disarming of the public in the heat of a moment, well, what are you, some sort of Nazi or something? Speaking of neo-Nazis or Nazis, this guy was prosecuted and convicted of uploading a copy of the video of the shooting. The sentence for doing so in New Zealand, for sharing a video like that, is um, to be imprisoned for up to 14 years. Again, someone might ask, which is more Nazi-like? Some creepy guy watching a snuff video, which is gross for sure, or the state banning a video of newsworthy event and censoring its publication with a prison term for uploading it to the internet that will likely exceed that served by the terrorist himself. So New Zealand is obviously traumatized, or at least the Prime Minister herself has obviously been traumatized. But as Lenin and every Marxist knows, the worse the better. Never let a crisis go to waste. How else do you think they were going to ban guns? What a great opportunity! What better opportunity? to use the 51 dead bodies in the mosque to pass wholly unrelated progressive plans like mass disarmament and censorship. You may recall that a few weeks ago, a lone gunman with less training and planning, thank God, stormed a Jewish synagogue in San Diego. One man threw a chair at the shooter. Uh, I think another, an off-duty border cop, went to get his gun. Now, one woman was killed by the shooter, and the rabbi himself had his finger shot off, but the shooter was driven away, and that off-duty cop might well have stopped him with his gun if he hadn't fled. That option will now not be available to anyone in New Zealand anymore. Not for any mosque, not for any church, not for anyone now. Only Jacinda Ardern, who is obviously psychologically shell-shocked, she's traumatized by the whole incident. What a terrible, terrible prime minister to have in a time of crisis. She is in a state of distress herself, and she's acting like it. So here we have the world's utopian globalists meeting behind closed doors in Paris. And what were they doing? 
Well, it's funny that you'd ask. I'm curious about it, but, but no newspaper in Canada thought it was that important. Uh, the Global Mail had an interesting story on the front page today about Trudeau conspiring to railroad Vice Admiral Mark Norman. That's a good scoop there. It's a great story. It's a good front page story. The Ottawa Citizen, uh, our nation's, um, I guess, official parliamentary newspaper, had a front page story about some guy uh, who was renting a house and wanted to buy it, and then it was damaged by this flood. Um, so there's that front page story. <laughs> and I looked through about a half dozen papers today. I guess, I guess what Trudeau was doing in Paris with Macron and Ardern wasn't that important. Well, I'll tell you what they were doing. It was a private meeting between Macron, Trudeau, Ardern, and a handful of other leftist globalists, most of whom were despised by the people and despised the people back. Oh, and I almost forgot, all the big Silicon Valley tech companies were in the room. They were meeting under something with sort of a, a missionary name, the Christchurch Call, as in because there was a mass murder in Christchurch, everyone in the world must now change how they use the internet. We didn't hear that after the massacre at the Catholic churches in Sri Lanka, or the weekly massacres of Christians in, I don't know, Nigeria, Egypt, but, but only in this one case, because one terrorist used the internet to stream his video, and Jacinda Ardern obviously has PTSD and can't handle the stress. And opportunists think this is an opportunity. So now we must all have our videos censored. Because one terrorist used the internet to upload his manifesto. Each of us must now be scrutinized because of Christchurch, you see. And if you have any questions about this, you're probably just a neo-Nazi bigot who needs to be investigated a bit. Do you think the tech companies opposed this censorship? They did not oppose this censorship. They were the key to it. They, they were the supporters of it. Look at this official page on the Christchurch call. It's actually a public-private partnership, you could call it. You could call it the privatization of censorship, the outsourcing, the contracting out of censorship. You could call it the merger of big government and big media, obviously big business. Look at that, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Twitter, YouTube, more. That's what, 99% of all social media traffic in the West? But not just the West, look, look at some of the countries involved. You have Senegal, 90% Muslim country in Africa. You've got Indonesia, 90% Muslim country, the largest Muslim country in the world, actually, 270 million people, almost as big as America. They love this censorship thing. They really dig it. They love the idea of censoring things that are Islamophobic. And they love the fact that they can get post-Christian, post-national globalists like Macron and Trudeau and Ardern to hand over, without a fight, a millennium of Western legal and political traditions to root out ideas like freedom and the presumption of innocence and privacy. They like it, and they can't believe the irony that it was an anti-Muslim terrorist who opened the door for them to do this. And Jacinda Ardern, wearing that hijab, they just can't believe she's wearing it. They really can't. I note that the United States is not on that list. I note that Japan is, which I find odd. They're probably the most homogenous country in the world. They allow next to no immigration whatsoever. Do you know how many refugees Japan took a year ago? In the whole year. This is from the Japan Times newspaper. Japan took 20, not 20,000, they took 20, two zero, as in a dozen and a half plus two. That's it. So yeah, Japan, Japan doesn't really care about this stuff. There are no ethnic 
or ideological or, or religious quarrels in that country. They haven't had a terrorist attack of any note in 25 years, and that was a cult. They've got this cult that does the odd. It's not a racial quarrel. So what exactly did all these governments and, and companies do over there in Paris? I mean, it, it wasn't a parliament, so there were no proceedings. There's no transcript. There were no committees and witnesses and debates. There was no question period. They just sort of all signed this document. Who, who, who wrote it? On whose authority was it signed? Why, why did it happen? With no scrutiny by the media, other than some pious head nodding for Jacinda Ardern, who's so woke. Oh, how Justin Trudeau wishes he could wear a hijab. It's the one costume he doesn't get to wear, at least out in public. Well, you know the saying, ignore everything before the word but, right? When people say, I, I like you, but, ignore everything before the word but. It works for the word however, which is a synonym for but. So let me read to you a bit from the Christchurch Call, as these censors call their manifesto. Let me quote. A free, open, and secure internet is a powerful tool to promote connectivity, enhance social inclusiveness, and foster economic growth. The internet is, however, but not immune from abuse by terrorist and violent extremist actors. So ignore everything before the word however. They say they want a free and open internet. And then they use the word however. And then they spend another thousand words explaining how they will make it unfree. And they start by saying they want to crack down on terrorism. Well, I agree, of course. And by cracking down on violent extremist actors. That's tough to disagree with. But hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What does that have to do with the rest of what they're doing, what they're actually doing? Well, shut up, you Islamophobe. They're taking away the guns of every law-abiding New Zealander because, I mean, shut up, she explained. So, for example, if you're going after terrorists, why does so much of the Christchurch call actually go after peaceful users of social media? Let me read some more. Support frameworks such as industry standards to ensure that reporting on terrorist attacks does not amplify terrorist and violent extremist content, uh, content without prejudice to responsible coverage of terrorism and violent extremists. So hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So I get going after the terrorists, so, but the government and these tech companies are going to go after reporting now? They're going to ensure that reporting on terrorist events is responsible. What, what does that mean? Well, you know what that means. And they know what it means in Senegal and Indonesia too. It's called censorship. They're not going after terrorists. You can't go after, Google can't go after a terrorist. They can go after people talking about terrorism. That's what they're doing here. Here's some more. Consider appropriate action to prevent the use of online services to disseminate terrorist and violent extremist content, including through collaborative actions, such as awareness raising and capacity building activities aimed at smaller online service providers. Development of industry standards or voluntary frameworks. Regulatory or policy measures consistent with a free, open, and secure internet and international human rights law. Oh, got it. So the government, the tech companies, they will do awareness raising, especially at the smaller internet companies who, you know, might not be so into the liberal narrative. Industry standards, eh? But of course they really, 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 really believe in free speech people, and they want you to know that. Let me read some more. To that end, we, governments and online service providers, as if there's any dividing line anymore, Commit to work collectively 
to work with civil society to promote community-led efforts to counter violent extremism in all its forms, including through the development and promotion of positive alternatives and counter-messaging. Oh, okay, so that's what we're doing. The government is getting into positive messaging, positive alternatives. So we're talking about reporting again now, aren't we? We're talking about conversations again, politics again. So we're not, we're not actually talking about violent terrorist actions anymore. We're talking about Twitter and Facebook and Google and Amazon and books and movies and people like you and me, I guess. So these massive companies will work with these massive governments to provide a counter-narrative. Really, counter-messaging, really. So not so much about terrorists anymore, but sure a lot about you. Uh, and Trudeau put out this press statement, pretty much just repeating what Ardern and Macron told him to say. But then he linked, as you can see there, he linked to a Canadian document that he and his people drafted. It's produced by the Department of Public Safety. It's the security threats in, in Canada, you know the one, the one where Ralph Goodale ordered police to go back and delete any references to, to Muslims or Sikh extremists. Now, I checked the document. Uh, those words have indeed all been deleted. Uh, we have over 100 ISIS terrorists who've returned from Syria and Iraq to Canada. We have ISIS plots uncovered monthly. There was just a, another terrorist incident this week. And the biggest attack in our country's history, as you recall, about 30-odd years ago, was when Sikh extremists blew up the Air India jet. So that's all expunged. So much for violent terrorism and extremism. Instead, if you do a word search in the document, what Trudeau is telling you is that the real threat in Canada is from the far right. It just is, folks. Let me read to you an excerpt from this security document. This is a piece of creative writing. I'm serious. Uh, let me read it to you. I, this is from the document. Scenario A. Alex, a high school student, gets into an argument about Canada's foreign aid with another student who happens to be a recent immigrant. Alex is outraged that Canada provides help to foreigners when so many Canadians are in need. This incident makes him believe that immigrants should not have a say about any of Canada's policies. Noticing his outrage, a friend takes Alex to a protest organized by a far-right group that proclaims anti-immigrant rhetoric. So that's the threat. They, they had to make up that short story. It, it goes on for quite a bit. That's creative, right? They, they wrote that's a piece of fiction. You don't have to make up short stories about Muslim extremists in Canada because there are hundreds of them, including those who have gone to murder and rape in Iraq and Syria and have been welcome home. One of them got $10.5 million from Trudeau, his name is Omar Khadr. They murder in Syria and Iraq. They murder in Africa. And they're murdering in this country too. They even murdered Nathan Cirillo in downtown Ottawa. This is the document though to which Trudeau linked in his official statement on the Christchurch call. Nothing about the word Islam, the word Muslim is not in there, but right-wingers are in there, and this Alex kid in high school, because he didn't like immigration and foreign aid. He's the threat. This is not about stopping terrorism, people. It's about stopping conservatives who don't like Justin Trudeau's policies. It's about stopping you. And the media party, the mainstream media in, in Canada, they, they couldn't be happier about this because they hate you too. Stay with us for more.
great honor to be the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. I see more opportunities and I see challenges when as a group that we work together. It is a great honor to work with business leaders, with community leaders, with cultural leaders, with indigenous leaders to create a shared vision for the betterment of all Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Well, there you have the Liberal Party of Ontario bucking the trend, as you may know. Since Justin Trudeau became Prime Minister, Liberal parties provincially have been all but wiped out, not just obviously the NDP losing in Alberta, but Doug Ford with a strong victory in Ontario. Francois Legault and his coalition Avenir Quebec beating the Liberals in Quebec, and even provinces in the Atlantic turned blue. Shockingly, Prince Edward Island amongst them. Well, the Liberals hung on at least with their fingernails in Newfoundland where they maintain a minority government, and our own Kean Bextie was there on the ground on election night last night. Keen, you're back in Calgary now. Tell me how it was in Newfoundland. Uh, it was a bit chillier than I expected. I should have brought a jacket, but uh, I was happy to see one thing. I was happy to see the Liberals uh, lose ground. Uh, maybe the blue wave didn't make it all the way out to the Atlantic province, but uh, the red swamp certainly receded a little bit. Uh, I, I can see a path to the Liberals losing uh, control over the government within the year. Uh, uh, Ches uh, Crosby said that in his not really a concession speech, he wouldn't concede because he did say uh, that the government would collapse within a year. So we're going to see if that actually does happen. But uh, they're they're holding on by, by a hair. They have 20 seats uh, and they need 21 to form a majority government. And that's before they even elect a speaker. So they still have to elect a speaker. They have to decide if that speaker is going to be from the government caucus, if it's going to be from the three NDP seats, uh, or if it's going to be one of the two independents that were elected. Uh, two independents being elected was huge news for them because there's only four independent candidates that have ever been elected in Newfoundland and Labrador before yesterday, or it could come from the Progressive Conservative Party. Uh, the Progressive Conservatives could uh, put forward a name and the the uh, NDP and the Independents could all band together and support that, which would be an interesting uh, dynamic because having an opposition speaker uh, controlling the House really could, could throw the government for a loop. Isn't that interesting? I never thought of that possibility before. Well, tell me a little bit uh, more about Newfoundland politics. I admit I haven't followed it closely. Now, um, you scrummed the PC leader who happens to be the son of John Crosby. Why don't you set up the clip and we'll play it. He sure looks like John Crosby. I'm of that generation who remembers John Crosby, the Mulroney era cabinet minister. I sort of liked him. He had the gift of the gab. He had a sense of humor to him, as many Newfoundlanders do. Tell me a little bit about this clip and then we'll play it. Uh, well, so, uh, Chess Crosby isn't uh, a very dynamic leader. He's very monotone. Uh, frankly, I don't know how he got into the position that he's in because he's not really an inspiring leader, at least from the few uh, times I, I managed to chat with him. Uh, and what I would say about the Progressive Conservative Party in Newfoundland and Labrador compared to all of their Progressive Conservative Party peers, the Saskatchewan Party, the CAQ, and the United Conservative Party, all these right-wing parties, uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador Party are probably the most left-wing out of the bunch. Uh, they're probably conservative in name only, really. Their platform wasn't really that much different from the Liberals. Uh, so the, the, that's uh, the foundation for the questions that I was asking him. All right, well, let's play that clip now. And it sounds like it was a question about uh, a conservative candidate who had made a pro-life statement. Let's play your clip, and then maybe you can explain it a bit for us. 
Folks, do you think that your flip-flop on kicking out a social conservative candidate hurt your credibility? That was not a flip-flop. What was it? It was an affirmation of the values of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. All right, well, what, what's he talking about? What are you talking about? So there was one of his candidates made some statement about being pro-life. I mean, surely, I mean, Justin Trudeau has, has weeded out any pro-life candidates from the federal Liberal Party. It, are you telling me that the Newfoundland Conservatives have taken the Trudeau approach? Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what they've done. Uh, in the same way that they've taken the liberal approach to child care, uh, liberals campaign on $25 a day child care, and uh, the progressive conservatives just copied and pasted that platform point into their campaign. Uh, it's not a very conservative idea, especially when uh, each Newfoundland and Labradorian shares $30,000 in government debt. But to talk about this pro-life uh, individual, from what I understand, I was speaking with people on the ground. He didn't really even share anything too crazy. He shared an article from LifeSite, which you know is the the pro-life website, and just doing that alone caused this Labradorian candidate to be turfed. Uh, at first, the the reason why it's a flip flop, Chaz said, "Oh no, it's yeah, whatever, it's fine. I guess we're dynamic. Uh, you know, we're broad broad tent party." And then the next day, he's like, "Oh, never mind. Uh, I got to backtrack on that." You're out of there. Uh, so it really gives you the sense that he's either a not in control of his party, or he is, and he's just a complete amateur about it. Hmm. Well, it's surprising to me that you say he's neither eloquent nor um, savvy as a leader, considering he comes from such a political father. I tell you, I, I can't look at him without seeing his dad, uh, John Crosby. Tell me a little bit about the, the NDP. Are they? Are they even further to the left? What does it mean to be an NDPer in Newfoundland? Are you a socialist? Are you an environmentalist? What's the difference if you're saying the Tories and the Liberals are so similar? Well, to be an NDPer means to be uh, someone who's being courted by the progressive conservatives. That's another thing that the PCs were doing that was just not conservative, is they were trying to align themselves with the traditional base of the NDP, saying that, oh, you can come over here if you want a government that you can trust. Um, and the NDP, of course, they, they haven't formed government, uh, I don't think perhaps ever in Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm not 100% on that, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, they their caucus was two going into this election, and now they have a caucus of three. Um, so they're, they're not a huge... Uh, you know, they're not a huge um, force to be reckoned with in Newfoundland and Labrador, but they do collect between 5 to 10% of the popular vote, which is uh, a portion of the vote that Chess was really hoping he could grab because um, if you look at the poll results, uh, popular vote numbers pretty much turned out uh, to be within, I believe, 5% five, 5 of each other, both the Liberals and the PCs. Um, Newfoundland and Labradorians just didn't know who to vote for. Nobody was really inspiring in this election. You, got, you had the choice between the governing governing liberals uh, and then the opposition liberals, which were just the progressive conservatives. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, you, you and I are both originally from Alberta. I'm an Ontarian now these days. And I think your visit to St. John's yesterday was the first time the rebel has sent someone to Newfoundland. And I'm very glad we did uh, because I occasionally get emails from our supporters in Atlantic Canada who say, hey, show us a little bit of love. And okay, so I'm glad you were there. And I acknowledge, as I'm sure you do, that we're, we're greener to the subjects. We don't follow Newfoundland or, or I mean, we've, we've sent folks to Nova Scotia. We've sent folks 
to New Brunswick. I've been to Nova Scotia myself for the Rebel, but Newfoundland, uh, you're the first guy there, and we haven't been to PEI yet. Um, so I'm glad you're there, and I say that to point out that we're not, I don't feel we have a mastery of the political landscape like I believe we do in Ontario or Alberta or even, even other parts. But that said, I mean, you're a young guy, you're going to Newfoundland, which I think is great because not a lot of people from, you know, the mainland go to Newfoundland, and it was a sign of our respect and our interest in that province and their decision. And I think you did a great job in your reports. But it was interesting to me, you were tweeting about it, because uh, you were there late at night when, you know, our, our team was in bed here almost. And um, Mark Critch, who's a Newfoundlander at the CBC with this hour's 22 minutes, hardcore liberal partisan. I don't think you mentioned him at all, but he suddenly decided, oh my God, the rebels here in Newfoundland, we must stomp it out. And he went on this crazy rant against you on Twitter again and again, and he wouldn't shut up. And I just kept thinking, holy cow, why is the CBC liberal so panicky and full of rage that you, a reporter from The Rebel with a conservative flavor, are daring to set foot there? I thought it was so... Uh, disproportionate and I thought okay like even if he claims to have a total command of that province's politics he's such a partisan liberal that I think we have to take everything he says with a grain of salt but really who the heck is he a government comedian at the state broadcaster to lecture uh, to basically say get out of here only the CBC and only the liberals can talk for Newfoundland I thought that was a really really bizarre intervention totally unprovoked by the CBC. I thought it was a real feather in your cap that you could cause a Newfoundland liberal like that, like Mark Critch, to totally have an online meltdown. It was really weird to watch for me, though. Well, after he started chirping me uh, and being a real gatekeeper for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, I had to do a quick Google search of him. Um, I've never actually watched This Hour Has 22 Minutes. I, I believe the show's called. I've never seen him uh, do anything. The only... Uh, interaction I've had with him is when he was really upset that I was covering the election, telling me that I knew absolutely nothing. Um, and, and he was uh, very upset that I credited the CBC with uh, some of their reporting. Uh, and I say reporting loosely, of course, they have uh, uh, billions and billions of dollars uh, in annual budgets. So of course, they're everywhere and they have uh, someone covering everything. Uh, but whether or not they're doing that well or not is a different story. I, anyways, I, I commented it and I said, this is what the CBC is saying added a little bit of commentary, and he went nuts. He was so proud that I shared the state broadcaster's work. I, you know, I, I guess he doesn't have better things to do. Uh, I, don't, I don't plan on spending much time on him uh, in the future. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I, I mention it is it's because it was so odd, but I also found it a little bit encouraging because uh, no one shoots at a dead duck. You've probably heard that saying. And I think that you should go back to Newfoundland <clears throat> especially if there's, like you say, if the government will fall. And I think we should give more time and attention to the Atlantic. Well, he offered to uh, bring you out for tea. And he offered to bring you out for tea and, uh, and give you a tour of the town. Maybe I'll take him up on that offer on your behalf and, and maybe interview him to see what he thinks about the great work that we're doing here at the Rebel. Well, you know, take him up on that. I mean, who knows if he did invite you to meet him. I mean, listen, we're talking too much about Mark Critch. I think he's brittle. <laughs> I think he's hypersensitive that someone else is mucking around in his turf, which tells me do more of it. But 
Yeah. If you go back out there to Newfoundland, maybe he'll give you some time. I think he spends most of his time in Toronto these days. It's just a feeling I get. Anyways, uh, enough talk about the CBC. You did great work on behalf of the rebel. Thanks for being there and covering the election, our rebels' first time in Newfoundland. Thanks, Ezra. All right, there you have it, Kean Bechty. Uh, Kean is doing great work from all over North America. I encourage you to check out uh, his specialty website we've set up at rebelinvestigates.com where you can see his recent reports everywhere from Alabama to Florida to San Diego to San Francisco to Winnipeg to Calgary and of course Newfoundland and Labrador. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about a leaked internal memo that shows Trudeau's MPs are starting to panic. Henry writes, the Liberals are actually taking Bill Nye seriously. These clowns really have to go. I don't know if they're taking him seriously. They're just reaching out for anyone who connects with the young people. Um, I'm not sure if, if Bill Nye does that. Uh, I've seen Catherine McKenna recently tweet videos by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I always laugh because Schwarzenegger besides his, his mansions and his huge uh, Hummer. He was really the first private citizen to drive, to drive a Humvee H1 military vehicle. Um, when he was governor, I know this is hard to believe, but he would take a private jet from his home up to Sacramento. The ca he would commute every day back and forth by private jet. A private jet every day. So he's the one that Catherine McKenna looks to for moral authority on carbon taxes. Unbelievable. All right, uh, John writes, McKenna should probably post videos of real scientists speaking intelligently rather than an entertainer keeping our attention with Mentos and Diet Coke explosions and burning globes. I guess she can't find any that back up the hysteria or she's just lazy, too lazy to seek them out. Look, I, I've, I've met her once a few years back and I pay a lot of attention to her. She is as shallow as a puddle in a prairie in Saskatchewan. Um, she only has uh, one layer of talking points. I, I could probably say them. we need uh, to climate action, to combat climate change. Like she has about four or five things that she just repeats endlessly. And she has never, other than maybe one occasion by Evan Solomon, I'll give him credit, been pressed with a supplementary question. Well, what do you mean by that? Or what about this? Or when you blame the fires in BC on global warming, what about the arson? Or how much would your carbon tax actually change the weather? Or are, do you really mean to say if we pay your carbon tax, there will no longer be river floods in the world? I don't think in three and a half years, four years, she has ever faced a real interview by someone who's trying to hold her to account because the media party agrees with her. On the Tommy Robinson campaign, Bruce writes, Tommy Robinson's story is highly important because what they're doing to him could be done to us. And like that clip you showed from Game of Thrones, we have to be prepared for the worst. Yeah, you know, forgive me for showing that Game of Thrones. I was sort of tired and on the plane and it was way too dramatic, but I thought, um, that character in Game of Thrones, Littlefinger, Peter Baelish, I think is his name. I, I shouldn't even, I'm embarrassed that I know those details of Game of Thrones. It, he's the ultimate paranoid, uh, conniving survivor. He's, he's of low moral worth. Um, but that is his secret for how he survived a horrific uh, world 
this terrible dystopian fantasy of war and, and carnage, is always thinking, well, what could go wrong? Who could, what friend could be an enemy? What enemy could be a friend? It's a terrible way of living, completely amoral, completely selfish. But that kind of worst case scenario mapping, game, gaming things out, there is some value to it for moral people to think, okay, well, let us entertain a hypothetical situation where this terrible thing happens in Canada. What would go happen next? What might respond? What, like, just to game things out. What I took from that, and I, I shouldn't describe, I shouldn't read too much, and it was just a colorful piece of writing filmed very dramatically. What I took from it is, in dark days, you should contemplate what if it gets darker? What if it gets darker? And you don't want to be in the darkness, you want to go towards the light. But what if it gets darker and darker? What if the lights are going out across Europe? As Churchill said 80 years ago, well, what if it's happening? I think it was Churchill. What if, it, what if the lights are going out now? What if Trudeau and Macron and Ardern are, are turning out the lights now? What's next? I think we should think these things through. And maybe we'll all laugh in a few years when we say, ha, can you imagine we were actually worried about that? We we're actually worried about, you know, facial recognition software being linked to a database and what we type in Facebook and our emails and our banking records and our cell phone numbers and it's all in a database and you can never change. <laughs> we were so crazy to worry about that and the Alexa microphone that's on your house all the time and your smart TV that never turns off. We were so crazy to worry about that. So maybe we're just being um, nervous Nellies. But if there's two errors to make, one is being worried where you don't need to be worried, and the other is not being worried where you should be worried, I wonder which of those errors is the better one to make. Well, folks, that's our show for today. We will have a show for you on Monday, I'm delighted to say. Until then, um, from all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, keep fighting for freedom while you still got it. Mm-hmm.